Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Damn, Kenya, that was a gargle. Okay. Okay. I, I almost made a throat goat joke, but I'm not because we just got Don't started. Do it. <laughs> Don't do it. For those of you who recognize that voice, Kenya is back. What's good? Pew, 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 <laughs> Kenya, um, I had so much fun for the Galentine's episode that we had to like make sure that we did another episode with you. And I'm this, so honored. I mean, you should because I don't like everybody like that. I know you don't, but I, friend. But, so, <laughs> but you, you, you were me. great. And it's so funny because in one of the episodes, Lulu started calling you PR. She did. And it's, when I think of you, I think of a media strategist. What do you officially call yourself? Jack of all trades, master of a couple. Cultural strategist. I love, wait a minute, you're a cultural strategist and I'm a cultural critic. That's why we go that together. That is cute for us. That's why we go together. Okay, that's very cute. That's mm-hmm. very cute. Yep. All right, so I'm going to start off with the pink elephant in the room for me. Okay. And that pink elephant is Beyonce. Okay. For those of you who don't know, I had zero plans of going to the Beyonce concert because Oh, my hand, friend. Me and Kenya are both recovering from Beyonce ticket purchasing um, whiplash. Okay, so I hit you up, what, six, seven months ago and said, Kenya, I would love to go to Beyonce no, in, y'all, in London. She need to tell the story right. What she did was Uh-oh. she sent me a text, and when I did not respond fast enough, she called me. Oh, no, I'm talking about six months ago, though. No, I'm talking about six months ago, too. You oh. were very clear. Okay. And you were like, listen we are doing this and that's how we talk, started talking about doing it overseas that was on a phone call that's true because i did the same thing to, it was you jeffrey you were very clear yeah you it was like you, friend it was you jeffrey and david and i said guys yes i am because i had got some our intel. brothers we love y'all yeah i got Jeff some and in, david. i got some intel from someone affiliated yeah don't want to get nobody in trouble that's what she did she flexed she flexed she flexed yeah way before the world found out about it at the uh wearable art gala Yep. Which I was also invited to and didn't go to, and that was a mistake. I should have gone. Um, but well before that, somebody from Beyonce's uh, ecosystem had told me that she was going to be kicking off her tour in Europe. Yep. The minute I got that intel over the summer, I called Kenya and David and, and Jeffrey and said, "Yes, I have decided that if she's going to start in Europe, that the best place to start is in London. She called her bougie-ass black friend. <laughs> I, did. She did. I did. She called her black friend. I called folks who I thought the check would clear, okay? <laughs> no offense to the rest of you I didn't call. That was me respecting your finances. So I called my friends who I thought could afford it and was like, look, if she's going to be in Europe, black Brits We're are the best it. people in Europe for us to listen to Beyonce She sold too. it, too. She sold it. She because talked about the all... atmosphere. She talked about the energy. She talked about, I was in. The they already loved me, the music. In. I was there. A lot of y'all don't even like that kind of music, but you like it now because of Beyonce. Black Brits right. been love dance music like this. You're absolutely Except right. Except for DC. Shout out to the DMV area. Y'all been love. Follow me. Y'all and love you know that what? kind this of music. This was within. This was in. Was it was within weeks of the Renaissance drop. You need to get your credit. Like yeah. you, this Renaissance was still. It was hot off the presses when I found out about the tour. And so the beautiful yes. thing about having such a huge head, head start on when, when the tour is going to do its thing was that I said it and then I threw it away. 
She did. Until Beyonce made the actual announcement in February. And I quickly realized that there was pre-registrations, registrations, giving up your first blood. The and blood then I came to you and I was like, is we doing, is you is or is you not? And my answer my was Beyonce no. Beyonce bae. Yeah, my answer was no because mm-hmm. it just seemed like way too much stress. Okay. I had been to so many Beyonce concerts previously that didn't require so much. Yes. So this is how God works, guys. And the reason why we're telling the story is there's a thing called the law of detachment. And the law of detachment means when you believe that what you're asking for belongs to you, you ask for it and you throw it away. And y'all, she claimed, okay, on credit, (laughs) she claimed London like eight months ago. Yeah. And then- Specifically. Specifically. Very specifically. And then forgot that I claimed it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe Paris be cute. Because London was on on Memorial Day. And I was like, oh, that might be- I was on like four or five different wait lists, Blue. I'm not even going to hold you. So I was on zero wait lists, didn't even log onto a website, had given up. And then I wake up on a random day and say to myself, damn, I guess I'm not going to see Beyonce. There goes that dream. I wonder what's going on on the website. I go on the website while I'm watching TV, click on a couple of buttons, and then something pops up and says, you're next in queue. And I said, now what happened now? And I freaked out because I had zero intention of giving tickets because I had given up. Mm. And next thing I know, there's a countdown saying, you are about to get tickets in 90 seconds. So I immediately texted those same three people. Like, I'm very consistent. I was in in two meetings. Oh, my bad, friend. Because I really was like, girls, emergency. She literally, I was like, Blue, I am literally on a Zoom. Like right now, I'm presenting on a Zoom. But here's the thing, because I don't, I, I don't want to make the coins the that I'm going to need in order to purchase the tickets. So I hit up Jeffrey, you, and David. You okay. were the only one who responded. Wow. And the thing is, this time I didn't call you. I texted you and said it's about Beyonce. I was so clear. I was like, this is about Beyonce. <laughs> and to your credit, that's this all. It's not took. a drill. That's all it took was. And the next thing I know, long story longer. Nobody responded but Kenya, but within, what, 20 minutes? We did not just get Beyonce ticket, guys, because that would have been normal. What ended up happening is, through the grace of God and whatever credit scores and savings we had. Such an on-time God. The only seats that were available were VIP on stage. The only ones we could get, you guys. (laughs) So, So, long story, again longer. Kenya and I have now spent what many of you spent on your mortgage. What God (laughs) blesses us with. I don't need nobody counting my coins. Just know. Don't need to clean up for these people. What most of America spends on (laughs) mortgages and utilities. We're favored. We're highly favored, friend. Yeah. No, we have to keep it real because I don't want to come on here and act like what we did is very attainable for everybody. Most of the population could not afford to drop that that much money Girl, with 90 seconds notice. You, you are missing a big chunk of the of the portion of the story about how we even were able to. I was about to not, I was not about to even be able to do that. Yeah, let's skip that part. But so because we because because circumstances she sold switched, the kidney, guys. But anyway, I, pretty much. So here's the thing that is wild to me is. I had given up and now I went from giving up and thinking I was going to be there at all to us being in VIP on stage with her. Yeah. So my question to you is, do we have to learn any dances? Girl, you better come correct. Like, I don't, what does it mean? You better call your contact and ask for for that stage uh, layout. Ask for the seating chart. Who says I don't already have it? So. I'm going to need it. Put me up on game. I'm just saying that I'm a little bit nervous because. I'm nervous about the fashions. Yeah, because London is the first New York. I'm nervous about the fashion. For those of you who don't know, London is the first first New York, guys. So before there was New York, there was London. So it's very East Coast high fashion. And because it's Beyonce and and it's Renaissance and Club Renaissance, we don't have to be high fashion, but more so we have to be fun and clubby. 
And so I don't know if it's a cat suit in my future or high boots or what's happening. London, you about to get all these curves. Okay? You, about to, you, about to, you about to get we all are these. coming. It's, it's going to be a look. And so town. how do you feel now that it's been a couple of days since we made that? Still you know, numb. I went to a party and told my friend at the party and she thinks we're nuts. Um, sure. We're crazy. It, <laughs> I I justified it already by telling you that, you know, my birthday is just a couple days after her show in London. So for you, it gets to and be like so a birthday me, trip. And like this, that is a, this is my renaissance. This is my renaissance year. Aww. I felt so blue. You, you know, you know, my story, you know, my testimony. This is my renaissance year. And so I leaned into it. I'm, I'm done questioning when I ask the universe for things. When I ask God for things, I'm yeah. done questioning how they show up to me. I've missed out on way too many blessings in my life because I criticized the way in which what I asked for came it. to me. And I'm done doing that. Um, You know, what's so crazy too. Cause in the Galentine's episode, we talked about how, when you are a woman who is alpha presenting mm -hmm. and the, you guys, if you don't know the terminology, the reason why I say alpha presenting is I don't actually think I'm an alpha, but I do recognize the millions of ways that I present like one, despite being much more beta in my personal relationships. And when you're alpha presenting, you're unsympathetic. Mm. And I think that's part of the thing that I find very relatable with Beyonce is no matter how hard she works, they're going to tell you, you're too good, you're too famous, you're mm -hmm. overrated, X, Y, and Z. We won't even give you the Grammy that you clearly should have won. Like, mm -hmm. she's very unsympathetic because she's so successful. And so I guess I'm wondering, like, how do you deal with when you are having a bad day or a choppy season mm -hmm. and you want sympathy, but you recognize that the way you present makes it hard for people to naturally want to give it to you? Well, I, I don't ask for it anymore. I don't ask for it anymore. You don't have to ask for it, but how do you feel about it? How do I feel? Um, it's he heavy as the head, heavy as the head, you know, it's tough. Um, I think the reason why you asked a really important question on the, on the Galentine's, uh, where you, you said, you know, given one sentence, you know, way that somebody can love you, right. Love mm -hmm. you. Right. And I, and I leaned into patience just because the world is so not patient with alpha presenting people. Yeah. And so, you know, and so, you know, how do I feel about it? I feel, I feel it's, it's an uncomfortable place to want to claim what you know is yours, but it's never been given to you. So that's tough. Interesting. Yeah. Because there's this, there's this guilt thing, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I know it's mine. I've seen it. I've been waiting for a moment in which I could claim it. I haven't been able to. When it finally comes to me, now... If I claim it immediately, I feel guilty because should I have waited? Should I was it for me to? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that whole it's that whole dance. But I feel fit. How how do I feel? I still feel numb. I, uh, my the end of my credit card statement has not hit yet. When my credit when my credit card statement comes, friend, mm -hmm. just you know, send well, me a heart emoji on that day. Here's the thing. I feel like I'm not ashamed of buying something that made me happy. Yeah. But to the question around, like, what is it like when you recognize that you're an unsympathetic character? I've learned to, like, work with it rather than begrudge it. Yeah. So, like, I ask for compassion. If you don't have it to give, I move on. Yeah. No, you can't wait for it. Yeah. Like, people... I, I will not wait for compassion. Yeah. No, I, I, I ask for compassion. And if you don't have it to give it to me, I, will I, I move on. And so it's very interesting that I think the reason why in this season of my life, I'm not a, a part of the Beehive, even though people think I am. Mm -hmm. I paid that money because seeing someone at the top of their game, 
I think is inspiring for me right now. A thousand percent. And also doing something that I thought that I could never do, you know? I mean, I'm not the, you know, for for whatever people think about me and what I, where I come from and what I do for a living and how much I earn and where I live, like, I'm not the, like, Louis Gucci Chanel chick. That's not me. Could I have done it a bazillion times over? Sure. Like, but I didn't like mm-hmm. I made different investments and this is an investment that I made in myself and in an experience that I know I will remember forever. And I'm so grateful that we get to experience it together. So that's my way of telling for all of you who are getting clowned by your friends for going to, cause people love to clown folks. Don't too. let them talk about you. If you found a way to make it there and you have a great time, fuck anybody who thinks you're All silly. you need is one bougie ass friend. And if you are your own bougie ass friend, then you take yourself. All you need is to yeah, London and see some points and it's a cat suit. Beyonce. I, um, I actually do think that people are going to be dressed. I think watching people get dressed in London is going to be make be a fun kiki. Do you love to travel a lot in this season of your life, or do you find yourself wanting to be more landlocked and focused on oh, work? Oh, I love to travel. the The world is my work. I work in culture. You work in culture, yeah. right? I love to travel. I've always loved to travel, but I love to travel even more now because what I see, how I feel, what I take in, what I observe um, is informed by so many other different things. Are you a solo traveler or do you like to travel in like I can do both. I'm not a group traveler. Let me be clear. I am not a group traveler. I was going to say, I can't see you in a huge group of travelers. I am not a group group traveler. Why? Why? Because not everybody has the same standards. And what makes a good experience is true. (laughs) I thought Kenny was going to talk about personality. She just called y'all broke. No, it's not just that. But it's not just that. Standards. It's not just that. Standards, expectations, what makes a full trip. Yeah. And I am such a, I am a care. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I love my friends out loud. I'm a, I'm a caring person. And I desire to, I don't want to feel conflicted on a trip that is mine about the time that I do or don't spend with people because of, of what it does. I just think I'm getting me. old and I want I want to be luxurious and be fed grapes by shirtless men and not but have to worry. But sometimes I want to turn up. Uh, no, I want I, but I you want know? the I want the option to not have to always turn up because I think there's some folks who feel like if I leave my house, I need to oomph, oomph, oomph the entire oh, time. Yeah, no. Let me tell you, I need a spa day and a sleep day. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that not everybody needs a spa day and a sleep day. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you are willing to let me have that without judging me or being upset about it, then we can travel together. Yeah. But if I have to constantly turn the fuck up for us to travel together, yeah. I'm tired. I've had so many p- friends who have needed to rest and recover from their vacation because they were turning up the entire time. We've never I don't have buffer interna- days. We've never traveled internationally together, but I know we're going to do well together. Well, here's the thing. I'm so excited about the trip. I know I'm going to have a great time in London because London is London. I'm excited to travel and I, and internationally, I feel, but you. Really? Why? That's I interesting. Because, 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 first of all, you planted Cute. this seed. I did. First of all. Yeah. You planted this seed. I'm taking full responsibility for the recklessness of this purchase. You know what's so crazy? One of the things we she have... She really a- did it, you guys. She she gave me a countdown and a text thread. Imagine being in, in a Zoom, with a very important business Zoom, and your friend telling you that this is not a drill. This is the one opportunity. You have 90 seconds to decide. Well, you're the only right one now. who responded. So I said, if, you, if you're right responding, now. I'm going to tell you what I'm looking at. I'm and looking at a countdown screen. hurry you even more. I had a 90 Multiple second countdown attempts. screen. So one of the things we have in common, aside from the fact that we have spent ridiculous amounts of money on Beyonce <laughs> tickets, is that we both are people who had a very uh, uh, substantial 
time in D.C. Yes. And are now in L.A. Yes. And I have strong thoughts about the the ways that D.C. and L.A. overlap and okay. intersect. Okay. So do you want to flex real quick for the audience and tell them um, <laughs> what your time in D.C. consisted of and what you did, friend? Yeah, so I did some bi-coastal living between uh, Los Angeles and Chocolate City uh, during the years of 2012 to 2016. Um, I worked in politics. I started off as uh -huh. a girl who got the coffee and worked my way up to a fundraiser, crisis manager, policy advocate, you know. And who who mentored you during that time, friend? Oh, many, many, many people, but, uh, mm -hmm. many people, Congress, Congress folks. Um, I'm a bass baby, Karen Bass. Uh, we I'm love product, Karen Bass. I'm a product of Karen Bass. We love, love, um, love, love, love Mayor yes, Karen Bass. Uh, and so, um, the honorable, the most honorable elected official that I know looking straight in the camera and saying that. How does that feel to see a black woman be the mayor? Well, I've, she's been so many things to me for so long. Is she the first in LA? Is she the first black female? She's the first black female mayor. I thought um, so, yeah. And, and black woman to be mayor in Los Angeles. She was the first um, uh, African-American speaker of the house, uh, speaker of the assembly, excuse me, in the California State Assembly. Um, uh, when she was in, uh, didn't they want her to replace Kamala for a second? I, I thought there was some, um, you know, conversation I, I, I think, that. I think there has always been a desire to main, to not create a political vacuum yeah. of the, uh, particularly in black leadership circles that we have in, in Southern California is super blessed to be this really unique microcosm of what black incorporation and leadership can look like on a political level. Um, and I think there, you know, the Honorable Miss Bass has always been um, at the top of everybody's minds mm -hmm. when it comes to how do we make sure we put in a leader that can do what what needs to be done, that can lead, that can advance, that can, you know, so. Um, you I know where I met her for the first time? Hollywood yeah. Unlocked. Really? We did an episode of Hollywood Unlocked because at the time, her and Jason were working to get somebody who was exonerated for really horrible reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't deserve to be in jail. Mm -hmm. And he, she came on the show because they were talking about the campaign to get him out. A couple of months later, mm -hmm. I go to Jason's house for Thanksgiving, and the young man that he and Karen got out was there for Thanksgiving dinner. She's I so burst amazing. into tears. She's so Because it's one thing to be talking to somebody who was trying to get out of jail is another thing to be to watch them actually watch them. be home for the holidays. And then honestly, you know how I knew she was gonna win? She spent one tenth of the money as her opponent. I'm not gonna speak that person's name. But she was everywhere last year. I could not go to a function. Because she's the people's champ. I was like, you Karen. can't dispute the impact. Everywhere that I went, she has Karen Bass was there. On tons of people's lives. And I think I'm so proud. There's so many ways in which I am critical of um, constituencies particularly when it comes to, you know, voting and doing what it is uh, that we need to be do, that we need to do at the polls. Absolutely. But I will say that I am incredibly grateful. I don't want to say proud, but I'm incredibly grateful for the city of Los Angeles for holding the line and electing um, one of the best mayors I know uh, we will ever see. And, you know, um, March is all about women. 
It and is. so strong women who support women is a big thing. This is this is not a paid endorsement. I just stand. No, for we actually sincerely the, love her. We sincerely love you. We sincerely love Karen Bass. And, we love you. and the, the thing is that she puts her money where her Mayor mouth Bass. is. Absolutely. Now, my here's my thing. But I she's want... made investments. I mean, I'm I'm an I am a I am a product of that. And yeah. and so many many of the people that you that we share in common as friends are products of her leadership pipeline. You know, I learned to be a political strategist and consultant. Um, through an internship with her because I was working in her district office um, when she was Speaker of the California Assembly. And I, you know, uh, looked around and said, what does this person do? And what does that person do? I didn't even know that what I ended up doing for a living, my first chapter of my career, was a possibility. I, I didn't learn that from school. I didn't learn that from... You know, I learned that because I had access and she was so open um, about what it is that we wanted to do. I mean, we sat in her living room, um, you know, and and uh, at her charge of, you know, kind of heightening us to what was happening in, in politics in that, during that time in Los Angeles and the opportunities that existed being young, talented, black connected politicals. And, you know, she charged us to, to you know, take the tools that she had imparted on us and do something masterful with it. And we created the black Los Angeles young Democrats. What does the, living room. what does the, I want to talk about your time. I'm going to pivot to talk about your time in DC. Sure. What does DC have in common with Hollywood to you? Cause I have, I have thoughts around that. Brunch culture. Interesting. I've, I've heard. <laughs> it was a joke. Um, no, no, you, no, but I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that's actually funny because it's, it's actually not inaccurate. I yeah. think, Somebody one time mentioned to me that they think, and this is, guys, this is not my controversial opinion. You know, I'm not scared to have my own, but this is something I heard from somebody else. So give them the smoke. Somebody said that DC is is the ugly version of Hollywood, where in in, mm. in, in LA it's politics on both sides, but in LA it's, they're mm -hmm. more concerned about the optics. But that they're both theater. It's both yeah. about it's it's both about knowing how to create a narrative, mm -hmm. and that it's just a less pretty version of Hollywood, and that once you recognize that politics and the the industry don't look so different. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, interesting. Do you do they you don't. agree with that? I I do agree. I do agree with that. Um, and I'll take it a step further to say that I actually prefer DC more because there's wow, really just off the off the elements that you're talking about yeah. because it's it's really challenging, you know, to build to build a structure right and to be like that structure is what I know it is. And yeah. I'm calling it by that name. It responds to that name. That's a structure is one thing. But to build a structure and then put a facade up, right? And be like, you think that's that structure, but it looks like this on the outside. And you'll only know that it's the actual thing when you go inside. That's Hollywood. Hmm. Right? So I, I feel like, you know, having access is one thing, but, but, Having a direct, I, I just feel like you know there there are elements of DC that are, um, very. It's still very much pretentious, still very much, um, mm. still very, still very, you know, quid pro quo, still very, you know, connected. Um, um, but, you know, it's the the facade aspect is is challenging. I'm the opposite. I prefer I prefer Hollywood to DC, and the way that I encapsulate that is I feel like. DC is very much well said, while LA is very much well done. Where mm. on the East Coast, and I'm from the East Coast, guys, I see too many people out here rewarded for things that aren't well done, though. No, and I, that's challenging. No, I understand that, but I'm saying I feel and like that doesn't stand in DC. But, but pause for a second. I'm just saying that for me, 
in LA, even if you're not the brightest person, people in LA will outwork you. Like there's a lot of there's a strong, strong, strong work ethic in California that people are so busy calling it fake that people don't get credit for. Mm-hmm. Whereas in DC, I'm surrounded by a lot of really smart pontificators who don't always have a good work ethic. So mm-hmm. I've been surrounded by folks who spoke eloquently, mm-hmm. who were really, really smart, mm-hmm. who would intellectually run circles around you, mm-hmm. but wouldn't pull up their sleeves to work. The hustle, yeah. The Whereas hustle in L.A., large. even if someone's not that bright, they can get really, really far because they will outwork you, even with a slightly lower IQ and doesn't know how to say the words correctly. And so I think for me, I'm in this place in my life where well done to me is a better compliment than well said. I agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's, and the thing is, I love DC, by the way. I'm, I'm going to always be an East Coast girl. But I, I really feel like LA sometimes gets a bad rap because there's a opportunity here to make it here that I don't think that the East Coast always gives you. If you're not smart, smart, you're not going to make it but so far on the East Coast unless you're slinging and hustling, right? It, out here, it's a little bit to use the word we used last time. Democratic, like everybody could get, get a There's little bit. There's social politics in in each it's environment. It's social, po- yeah. The social, social politics, are politics yeah. In, in each environment, and I think, you know, being born and raised in Southern California, perhaps I'm. The irony that we're that we're we're uh, caping for each other's we coast. Are. I think, but I think it's because I understand my home environment yeah. more. Yeah, and you understand, and I understand that we be full of shit a little bit <laughs> environment mm-hmm. more. So you know. But I, but I think the social politics, there, there are a lot of similarities between the two environments. And again, I think that's why I was able to parlay my career from oh, working in I could in just see you in D.C. Like, you're, you're giving Scandal, friend. Like, by the way, when I, when I watch Scandal, how accurate on a scale of 1 to 100% do you think Scandal is to real life? I mean, Miss Judy Smith would agree that it's pretty. That was called a subtle flex, guys. If y'all do not know who Judy Smith is, Judy Smith is who Scandal is based on. And, you know, uh, Kenya, Kenya, you want you want to let, let people know how you know about Judy Smith since we up here dropping uh, names? We know about we know about her. She, you know, all hail to the queen. Um, you know, I think it's uh, I, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities between the two environments. I don't think I don't I don't think that when you watch shows like Scandal you see the social politics and the, and the bartering and all the things that are done to manipulate something and then the narrative is all shiny and polished mm-hmm. or whatever. I think people know that's true. Yeah. But I don't think knowing something and feeling it are the same. And mm-hmm. so I knew that LA, I knew that DC were like this, but it wasn't until I was in political spaces I was like Oh, this feels different, even though I knew it existed. Yeah. And in LA, one of the things that really shocked me was resumes look different out here. Mm-hmm. Back home, mm-hmm. a resume is a piece of paper. In LA, in this industry, a resume is a phone call. Because yeah. if somebody trusts you, it's a relationship currency. It's all relationship currency. If somebody yeah. trusts you. I can't tell you, I've only been here three but years. That's the, but that's there in DC too. It is, but here's the thing that's interesting is that DC people have to make it look good on paper, and in LA you don't even need paper. Not always. Oh, well, maybe I'm not forced always. Gump. Maybe I'm not always. Gump. We got we got people coming into Congress, folks, whose whose resumes don't even make sense on paper. At least the paper exists. At, all. At least the, so, but it but it's not real. It's not it's not real, but it exists. Like there's a, a, a how do I say this? A desire to release pretend. Perfect example. I had a friend I cannot name her because I don't want to get in trouble. Someone was going to give her a blessing. Mm-hmm. A phone call was made. And guys, let me, let me actually pull it back and explain to you guys what we're talking about. In Los Angeles, the way resumes work here is if somebody knows that they want to work with you and they know that you have a mutual in common, mutual friend, colleague, whatever, they call that friend or colleague and ask about you off the record. Like, what is it really like to work with this person? If you get a glowing 
one review, then it helps push you along. If someone's like, ooh, watch out for her. She looks good on paper, but she's actually really difficult to work with. Suddenly, you'd be surprised. That's how blackballing happens, by the way, guys. Suddenly, opportunity is gone because somebody who had their ear said, yeah, skip, skip that one. I used to think it was unfair until I got on set and realized it doesn't matter how qualified you are. Nobody wants to be on set for 20 hours with an asshole. Facts. And there's an intimacy to the space that people hold in the industry that mm -hmm. makes it like, damn, even if you're qualified, I do not want to spend this much time with you. It's not a nine to five kind of structure. So I understand it a little bit, but there have been a couple of times, and let me know if this has happened to you, where I've got phone calls from folks saying, so-and-so tried to block your blessing, but we didn't listen to her. A thousand percent. How do you feel when yep. you find out that you a bullet grazed you but didn't hit? Like I'm serving the God that I pray to every night. Amen. You're one of the few people that I can ask this question, by the way. Because a lot of folks will never know what it's like to find yeah, out I've through the there. grapevine mm -hmm. that somebody was talking a little womp, womp, womp. Oh, yeah. And that's your favor and your covering. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and you know what, though? It's, it, it's, it is more times than not, not left up to chance mm -hmm. that they went. It's because the track record out, outpaces the gossip the consistency of right? your character yeah yeah and so you know we make it easy for ourselves when we continue to show up being who we are yeah but the track record outpaces the gossip it's all always interesting though like the first time it happened to me i had barely gotten here i had, I had only been here for a couple of months and i was yeah. like who me i'm nobody i just got here i don't even know y'all like that but i realized that to your point when you're consistent people think it's a threat because there are so many folks out here who have opportunity but no content Mm -hmm. or opportunity but no like mm -hmm. sweat equity or opportunity but like no wherewithal or experience so when you have an opportunity but you're actually equipped to do something with it right people will find it threatening and i, I think allyship is really really important mm -hmm. how do you how have you been able to make allies because as somebody who is so strategic politically and because we've said a million times now hollywood is very political yes it's politics as usual Yes. How have you made allies in this industry? Because I've made allies by mistake. I don't even know I'm making an ally. I'm a happy out kiki with somebody and then walk into a meeting and realize they have my back. And I wasn't even thinking about that. So I can't take credit for most of my allies, to be honest. I wish I could. But I feel like you probably could. How do you intentionally create allies? Cool. So I'm going to answer this a long way around the block because I think it's important to Ooh, share let me get my drink with people. Yeah. Get it, friend. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been... We've talked a lot about currency mm -hmm. in this episode, right? The monetary value of things, right? I've been very interested in currency um, and capital four different ways my entire career, starting off in politics, social, political, cultural, financial. Being a child that was born into privilege in South Orange County, California, the least thing that I was concerned about was the financial, mm -hmm. right? I was really interested in social currency and political currency um, and cultural currency, particularly because I grew up in a very homogenous environment. Nobody looked like us, and still we had position, right? Mm -hmm. I knew, uh, you know, drugstore uh, clerks, and, you know, they would take me up to the bankers and the grocery store people and the crossing guards. And, like, you know, there was a social currency that the neighborhood knew. She may not look like everybody, but we know who and who she is, and there's value there. Mm -hmm. When my parents got a phone call, you know, um, uh, because I, you know, had a run-in with um, getting stopped by police, un you know, unfairly in Irvine by IPD, because uh, I was sitting on a bike and got given a ticket for not riding a bike, riding a bike without a helmet on, and I'm just sitting on a bike, 
and get harassed by the police. You know, my dad. Even racism. Okay. Right. My 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 parents get a phone call. My dad picks up one line to the chief of police in the city of Irvine. Right. And is like, just help me understand. Right. It was never like a a accusation. Help me understand this experience. Right. So I've been I've been fascinated with um, currency for a long time. I think that has informed the relationships that I have intentionally made because a thousand percent off top when I meet somebody, I want to know what you value because that makes me know how open or closed, how safe or not safe, um, how fluent or confluent Mm -hmm. uh, we can be with each other if I know what you value. Now, the comfortable space is, okay, there's a direct through line between what you express to me that you value and what I value. And therefore, we ain't even got to go to the teller. I can break you off change right here. We can do this currency exchange right here. Where it gets a little bit more challenging is when you meet people who value things that either I am not willing to ante up and give Mm -hmm. or I just don't value the same things, right? And so allyship becomes easier because I'm immediately going going for what do you value? And how is can that we meet in the middle? when you meet people or does it organically come about for an opportunity to arise to assess that? Like, I are you intentionally I'm bringing a, that up? I'm a nation builder. So I need to know what I need to, I, a thousand percent I need to know. I, I'm automatically always looking at how can I support, uplift, affirm, connect, empower, build. Like that is my, that's just how I'm wired. How did you get the the ability to do that without feeling awkward because a lot of, we had a couple of people here for, who are deep in the industry. They're very powerful. They wield all this stuff. And they said, Hey, sometimes it's exhausting that people always see me as an opportunity, not as a person. Yeah. So how do you balance the line between doing that, but not being egregious and making somebody feel like they're only an opportunity, not a person? Well, I will say thank you friend for telling me that you have never felt like an opportunity when I have engaged with you or yeah. I've engaged with art, with people around you. I will take that as a, as a, as a compliment. I appreciate that. I feel awkward many, many times. I don't, I don't feel. Um, and that's because the rubric that I operate by is not universally accepted in the society that we find ourselves in all the time. Yeah. So I feel out, like a fish out of water often. I feel slighted often. I feel. What makes you feel slighted? Because slight, be, being slighted is such a human, and the show's called mm-hmm. Humanized, mm-hmm. such a human and vulnerable feeling. Yeah. And for someone who's listening to you, who's trying to figure out how to get from where they are to where you are, what makes you feel slighted and how do you push through that? I mean, it's just a, it's just a mismatch. It's an, it's an, it's an inequity, right? It's, it's or an, an expectation of inclusion of some, of exactly some sort. that, that is it, you know, it's disappointment. Mm. Um, and it, the truth is, is that I have to mitigate my own expectations and disappointments on a daily basis. It doesn't stop. Um, it takes a lot of encouragement, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you continue to surround yourself with an ecosystem of people, even if that ecosystem is one, two. Um, it only takes two or three validate, together, mm-hmm. right? Who validate how you how you look at the world and what you expect out of the world for yourself and for them. And I think you know you you keep coming back to the watering hole. Um, and if you find that that watering hole has dried up, you be courageous enough to go and search for another one and know that you're gonna get there before. You know, you, you, just, you, just, you just made me realize that I really do be winging it. <laughs> Everything you said sounds so smart and intentional. When I tell you I am Forrest Gump, 
I'd be leaving the house. I'm like, oh, she cool. And then we hang out. I'm like, oh, I didn't know she does that. Well, it okay. Is it, is, it is organic. It is organic. Because no, what you're doing is, or, but there's also, I want to give you credit. There's an intentionality to it that I think is beautiful that I don't think I've ever really cultivated. I've kind of, I think for me, it's more instinct than conversation. And I, I luckily it served me, but I do think I would have gotten much further in life had I been more intentional about making allies not by happenstance. And and there's a part of me that laments being hardwired to be a strategist. I mean, I was I was again born and raised in an environment where I had to know it was survival to know who was for me and who was not. How do you turn that off so you can have a reprieve and breathe? Like what's your is there a moment that you give yourself because I think I think everything can be good or bad if it's out of balance. Yeah. And so I think even though the Forrest Gump thing has been a fun ride for me, yeah. I'm like, that's out of balance. If I do it too much, mm -hmm. I need to be a little bit more strategic, right? Yeah. So you being strategy girl, how do you have the, the how do you turn that off and have a, a Forrest Gump moment like me and just leave the house and see what happens? I am still in this chapter of my life trying to find the balance of when it's on and when it's off. Ah, got that it. when it's off has manifested itself in ways for me where... You know, get you drunk. In, 27, <laughs> in 2017, I took a multi-year hiatus from my entire... Multi-year? Multi-year. How many years? Before the pandemic. Uh, nearly three. Wait, what were you doing for three years, friend? I turned inward. I had a cute little apartment by the beach. I Well, that would help. You know, yeah, that would help. dedicated back to myself. And I can look in the camera right here and say, the people who were in my everyday life, um, you know, no one was exempt. It was It was all about me um family some uh you know came for the ride some didn't um but th my my need was I have to put my mask on before saving others and this was three years before we collectively as a world had to do that what was the intention of that three-year hiatus from Living. society what were you doing during that time were you just like taking care of yourself and going inward or I had to find something? A, I had to, I had to, I left so I left politics I left working in electoral politics I didn't know what was next for me mm -hmm. it was the first time in my life where I didn't feel like I needed to write my story as it was happening right and that was such a relief to your point right that was such an exhale every other time in my life every other transition every, that I've anticipated or experienced I have um I have in a premeditated fashion started to yeah. write the the narrative of what I was experiencing or what it meant in real time. And I didn't then, you know, I, I invested in an athletic engineering company at the time on paper <clears throat> that made no sense, you know, uh, for what I was doing. Little did I know I would end up, you know, committing to a plant-based lifestyle, losing a hundred pounds, changing my whole life. And that would inform what I have. For I mean, me that's now. amazing. The outcome of taking like most people are like, yeah. Ken, you took three years off and I lost really hundred pounds no and became a vegan and all this other stuff. But like, yeah. how did you pay your bills, friend? I, again, I I did it strategically at a particular time. So you had a savings, I, uh, lightly. <laughs> like, I mean, really, I'm not going to. No, and, and, and I'm ask asking like these questions because I want the audience because there's somebody watching this it right was now. Not coordinated. Who is burnt out it's and true. trying to figure out. How to work out the mechanics of this. Listen, my first job, I was 15 and a half and I worked at Foot Locker. Okay. I didn't have to work. I wanted to work. Um, but back to the reprieve, how did you fund your 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 Wusa moment? I I knew that I had a transferable skill set mm -hmm. and I started consulting. 
Um, I started consulting in a different way. I have always worked for myself for, you know, 14 years now. Um, I did political consulting beforehand, but um, it was at a very interesting time when 45 got elected, because I will not say his name. Tomato, tomato. Um, That is when I uh, was like, okay, politics and entertainment are intersecting in a way that is frightening, but also incredibly exciting. And unprecedented. And unprecedented. And so if y'all, again, currency exchange, if mm-hmm. if society and pop culture is telling me that they value this over here, okay, well, let me, let me just try my hand at this. Um, I, but I also had a lot of support, you know? I, I didn't do it on my own. I didn't. So you had, you had a village to help you kind of have a buffer to, to, to breathe. Which, by the way, is a beautiful luxury. Like I, um, yeah, I, I, I yes, will say yes and no. I was not but, but, as but, transparent. But for a quick though. second, I do want to uh, double click on this because the audience is very nuanced, and they're going to kill me if I don't. Mm-hmm. There is a luxury in being able to do that. That there's no shame in admitting when you have it because. I wish we all had it. Yeah, but let me be clear that there is a level of conditionality that I experienced when you don't when you always had it figured out and you don't have mm-hmm. it figured out, that support, I wasn't always willing to accept the support that was offered to me because that support was was conditional on me getting to a point where I where what I figured out made sense to the people who were offering me support. So Yes, I had support offered to me, but mm-hmm. a lot of it I chose to not take because I was not ready to make it make sense yet. And I'm so grateful that yeah. I did. But I, so I, it was tough. And the reason know? why I wanted to point that out is because somebody might hear this and they might not know you the way I know you would be like, well, it must be nice to be able to turn down support. I don't even have that. And I want to make sure that there's an entry point where they recognize that support might be offered, but it comes with conditions. Yeah. And people yeah. don't people don't always want to admit that the conditions themselves. Perfect example, not all money is good money. Mm-hmm. There are several times I've had the opportunity to make a lot more money than what I make right now. Yeah. I, make, I make good money, but like I could have made way more. Yeah. But the conditions were so icky. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stomach it. Yeah. And so I want to demystify by addressing it rather yeah. than pretending like, oh, yeah, I had support. It's no big deal. No, it is a big deal to have support, but it also comes with a price that I think folks who think that they would r- rush towards it you actually probably wouldn't if you had to deal with those conditions and I and I wasn't living the life that I that I was when I stepped away you know and mm-hmm. and I'll tell you something some crazy stuff happened to me during that three-year period you know did you I, get lonely I went I did you know and yeah. I had I had partnership for some of that time um you know and and didn't for others um but you know I I I was very clear that my main mission was every single day I'm going to wake up and do what it is that makes me feel good because I neglected myself for so long. I had done, I would practiced what I saw for so long. Your condition. Self-sacrifice being, you know, um, you know, directly connected to leadership as if it was honorable, right? Um, I had done that for so long that I didn't, I had to unguilt myself every single day of those three. I don't, I don't share that timeline as a badge of honor. I'm telling y'all that was one of the hardest (laughs) time periods of my life to not have an idea of what this was didn't have a narrative that it was necessarily connected to felt like I was throwing away everything I had invested in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I chose myself every single day and you, that's where you really learn to love you. You know, you hit a factory reset. What gave you permission to come out of that? You know, um, what 
people started saying to me and seeing in me was what I had seeded in myself. And so I started to see that that alignment was real. It was no longer something that I wrote in affirmations every single day. Or you something weren't that faking I it until you made it. I, you not, had I, was, it. I had actually become it. And yeah. when I started to see that, I was like, okay. I'm ready. It's so funny because the, the, the term <clears throat> fake it till you make it, I always say I don't believe in fake it till you make it. I believe in claim it till you become it. Mm, I love that. And I had posted something earlier this week about how one of my fondest memories of DC, nobody thinks is a fond memory. I was at a movie theater and a young lady wanted the seats that I was saving for my friends. All their coats were in the seats, so it wasn't like they were empty. And when I wouldn't let her move their seats to cha- their their coats to take the chairs, she got angry and called me a stupid fat bitch. Mm. And it was on opening night on a Friday night in D.C. Mm. at the theater in Chinatown. So, you know, every nigga right. around was around. Right. And I'm here I am in a room full of 200 plus black and brown people on opening night. And when she said that, I didn't feel bad. Yeah. I didn't feel ashamed. I didn't even feel ugly. I looked cute that day. I felt sympathy for her because I looked at her crumpled Howard sweatshirt mm-hmm. and her messy hair. And I was like, you're having a bad day. Yeah. And you're trying to make me feel as bad as you feel. Right. And it's so funny because 10, 15 years earlier... That would have made me come undone. It would have leveled you, right? And I was like, "Oh shit, I'm not faking this anymore. I really do fuck with me, right?" It's probably one of my favorite memories from DC. People think that's it's weird, but it's like we all have these moments when we realize we're not faking it anymore. No, I, f- I feel you. And for those of us who are builders, like you know, I had built up this entire ecosystem where, to be honest with you, it was a lot more comfortable for me to keep that going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my clothes were. I had a full wardrobe, sponsored clothing. You better flex, bitch. She said, like all this, honey. you know. I mean, you know, and changing my life and deciding to lose a hundred pounds and, you know, um, change c- careers completely. I mean. You know, I was I was making my life a lot more complicated, you know, and and you will, and, uh, and authentic and uh, but but authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A thousand percent. So like so you, it looks like you've confronted failure he- head on many times. And my, my I've always joked that my first book is going to be dedicated to failure. And my mother, my two biggest teachers, mm. what has failure taught you? Mm. Well, I, I've had to change my relationship with failure. Failure is final, you know, like. Not getting it right the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time, I I no longer characterize as failure. I have failed at things Mm -hmm. in my life where I don't have another opportunity Mm -hmm. anymore. That is failure. But it's changed the way that I even speak about my attempts, you know, to do insert blank here. How's it changed you? Um, Because the patience that I seek, I give to myself first. Do y'all hear that? She said that she requires patience and she actually gives it. I, I, I love that you said that because a lot of times we ask for things that we don't ask ourselves if we have the bandwidth to give in return. I, so that's dope. Before 2017, I expected my external environment to believe in me more than I did first. And I waited on that validation first before I moved. After I made that decision, everything changed and I became really comfortable with being the pacemaker that I had said that I wanted to be for a Mm -hmm. long time and that's why you know when we talk about the Rihanna's and the Beyonce's of the world right like she don't care about not winning album of the year basically it's gonna be 10 years before y'all realize the error in your ways academy right like i don't i think she, care she don't a little care bit. about <laughs> i she think she care a little bit but I, yeah but, i know what but, you mean but i'm talking about I, let me not say I, i'm just talking about care in a consequential yeah. way is it going to change your artistry yeah. no is it going to change the way that you wake up every day no you know what i mean will it make you on time to the next uh award show no <laughs> 
no, she won't appear. She she probably won't show up to the next award. And that's another thing too is that like, when you are someone who is successful or really smart or really good at something, people tend to assume that you don't care and use it as an excuse not to give you what you deserve. And so whether she cares or not, I do think we need to stop penalizing excellent people for being excellent. But I also have had to change my relationship with what I think I deserve. Really? How so? You know, I, I think it's what we tell ourselves in terms of validation and acknowledgement for what we say we want to do and who we say we want to be in this world matters. And convincing ourselves that life is full of opportunities to acknowledge what we do I think is a dangerous, slippery slope. And I am not, I'm okay with not being acknowledged. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm okay with not being acknowledged. I'm not so, okay with people playing in my face. And I, I do think that to literally base the, an entire show around me, have my mm -hmm. husband performing as the last act, mm -hmm. put me in the front seat, hand deliver me my Grammy, mm -hmm. And still not give me the award that you gave me the impression I was getting, mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that we all know that I could have gotten it. I do. I think playing in my face, I'm okay to be upset about that. I cannot need that acknowledgement, but but still say. But I still we have to do the, all this. I still hold the value. I still Absolutely. hold the cultural value. I'm still clear. But you about what brought right? And and again, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that that anybody deserves to be disrespected. Yeah. Right. But I'm. But that word deserve. That word deserve is tough. It's a tough, that's a tough, that's been a tough wrestle for me. Really? Why so? Deserve. Because it implies, it implies, you know, worthiness is a crazy, crazy, crazy thing. Really? Why? Because it, 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 the continuum that you, that the spectrum that you apply, the start point and the end point, mm -hmm. and in the middle of all of that is your, is your worthy portfolio i think i think a lot of times people it's challenging i think a lot of times people will conflate worthiness with entitlement because entitlement has an air of expectation and assumption but if there are certain guardrails and rules that everybody is held to and i'm being held to something different in that moment i'm not being entitled or attaching my worthiness i'm asking to be treated with the same level playing field that everybody else is being and that's treated equity yeah and i'm acknowledging that i'm being treated inequitably yes and i think the more but that's not worthiness but i think exactly i think the more i think the more excellent you are the more people think you're entitled for wanting to be actually treated with the level playing field yeah. and, and and it gets tricky to use my new yorker friends because there have been so many times look at Simone Biles she was mm -hmm. competing and if she was equitable, she would have won. Mm -hmm. She was so excellent, they changed the rules to penalize her oh, yeah. for being excellent. Because we and that's when move deserve, the bar. Yeah, that's when deserve makes sense for me. And it's very simple for me. It's like, if that rule's not being applied to anybody but me, mm -hmm. I deserve the same basic compassion and the same consistency that everybody else is getting. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's nothing tricky about that. Mm -hmm. Like, don't make different rules for excellence. And I think black women in particular, when we're excellent, and we're asking for what we deserve based on an objective definition that everybody else is held to. And you make an exception. So for me not to deserve it, I'm allowed to be like, I deserve that shit. Y'all playing in my face. Yeah, but deserve implies that it's the same rubric and it's never been the same rubric. It and that's hasn't. why and that's why I feel like does the conversation about deserving things to people who constantly push the move culture the goal forward post. and move the goal. We move yeah. the goalpost. Y'all stay yeah. move the goalpost, but every time I walk out of this door, I move the goalpost. So, so it's a new rule. Every time. Every time I present in front of you, I move the goalpost. Now I have a question that's a little bit less smart. 
because I, you know, it's humanized. Love it. And uh, you're very smart. And the people who are following you are probably going to be like, oh my God, I'm so smart. How do you date in a world where you are high profile in the sense that it, what you do is hard to downplay, right? Like, yeah. no one's going to date you and think you're regular, degular, or stupid, or any of that good stuff, right? And, and, and as a fellow non-regular, degular bitch, mm-hmm. um, people be getting a little bit scared. Yeah. How do you deal with showing grace for knowing that objectively you are atypical while also not making excuses for people who are being fragile in your face. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm unmarried unmarried. Tell me when you find out girl. <laughs> you know, um it's been a it's been tough. I have accepted a lot uh less than I should have. Mm. And again, I'm not gonna say that I deserved, but a lot less than I should have. I'm gonna push you, friend, because this, mm-hmm. for those who are watching who take my course, they're gonna get mad at me if I don't push this. Mm-hmm. We don't you should. We should is considered one of the most toxic words in the English language because it means that you're lamenting or judging what could have been and, and ha- can't be changed. Yes. So then you could have. Then I could have. That you could have. I received that. Thank you for because, that. Because there's no shame in what you chose. You yeah. chose it and you learned from it, right? Yeah. So now that you know that you took less than you could have or mm-hmm. didn't ask for what you could have, mm-hmm. how are you going to move differently in an empowered space the next time you meet a gorgeous, tall, handsome, rich suitor who wants to treat you like the queen you are and that you deserve to be treated? No asterisks. You know, I I gotta I gotta, manifesting, bitch. I gotta I gotta <laughs> hope that I meet them in real time uh, with where I am. You know, I think um, I've never really been being a strategist. I've never really been until this season uh-huh. of my life. I'm talking, you know, what I decided to come. I made my grand appearance back. Monarch Magic Monarch Magazine did a did an editorial on me multiple pictures that came back the art of reinvention like a, like a, a, week, a week before uh the pandemic hit so that oh, was my <laughs> wow so i came back from my hiatus like during the pa- literally the- like right before everybody was like and how are we gonna live three years how did that feel the- it's interesting i actually talked about it in the article they amended it at the last minute because i was like i know y'all are freaking out about how you're gonna make it through this but i'm telling you as somebody who came back from a, a multi-year hiatus, you're going to be just fine. And don't try to write the story yeah. in real time. But um, I was answering your question. Dating. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I've just had to be much more, I, I don't know, patience is, this is a season of patience for me. And, and you know, I've had to let go of the expectations that I had of what love was going to look like, of what marriage was going to look like, Amen. of what partnership was going to look like. I've done more unlearning um in 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 hopes of clearing space to be able to receive what it is that I know my heart really wants mm-hmm. um you know the Tao talks about the most useful tool is a bowl because it's empty yep um and I am somebody who was conditioned to think that I needed to be full all the time um that can without, be distracting with it, which is distract which is distracting so yeah. you know I've, I'm I'm still in the process of clearing space uh, to be healing, to be determined you know? is the answer, and that's an honest answer. Thank you for not rushing. Kenya is a Gemini because you know we do zodiacs on here, yeah. And people, Gemini's are often, um, you know, stricken for how they are quick to answer things in a polished way. People people wonder if they're being sincere. And I think there's nothing more sincere than saying I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, there's nothing more it. sincere. Than, and you've been saying patience a lot, and because butt negates. And what I'm also hearing is surrender. A thousand percent. There's so much surrender in your narrative. And the reason why I was excited about having you on the show is there's a lot of folks who are really smart and really brilliant who watch the show and think they have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And then life throws a brick at their head. Man. 
And what you're talking about is giving yourself permission to be still. Yeah. And to process what that feels like and to reconfigure what life gets to look like on the other side. It's the it was the best decision I've ever made. I've I've never moved. I've I I am somebody who was trained to mitigate crisis. Yeah. Okay. So, I was never afraid of crisis when it came to my doorstep because I was trained in this. We have a there's a, you know, we've got a step-by-step, step, right? Uh, we know how to work through this. We can figure it out. I've got an answer and a response. Intentionally not figuring it out, not having response, sitting in discomfort, sitting in, you know, the middle space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, ironically, it was like, how am I going to introduce myself to people? Like, that used to always weird me out. Like, I walked away from electoral politics. I was totally okay with being like, I'm not the girl who works in politics anymore. I know you knew me then, and I don't really know how I show up right now, but this is what I'm doing. Entrepreneur was this really figurative word that kind of kicked in, and I became the thing that I criticized most about Southern California, which is this, Everybody's you know, entrepreneur. This fictitious term that we use to to describe our aspirations. So right? for the sake of, I think that's the perfect way to end this, <clears> if now that you've come full circle how do you introduce yourself so let's, let's do this real fast hi my name is kenya and i I'm am a cult i'm a cultural strategist i'm a cultural strategist yeah i'm a cultural strategist that actually feels very good like it feels like you yeah it is me i mean i've 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 recognized that the thing that i valued the most that kept me in spaces of electoral politics that now keep me in boardrooms and studios and entertainment um, is the thing that I've valued the most. That currency exchange for me is the culture that I've raised in, studied, experienced, value, feel protective of, mm -hmm. um, I, and, and that I know needs to continue to thrive. And, um, and so, you know, I am somebody who shows up in that space and culture is everywhere. Just like everything is inherently political. Yep. Cult, everything is also, you know, our culture, what we do, what we sprinkle into this world, how we bless spaces that we what show we up eat, with. How we love, right? Yeah. Everything is is cultural, and that's how I introduce myself sometimes. But I'll tell you, friend, now more than ever, mm -hmm. I, I no longer feel like I need a qualifier. I now say, my name is Kenya, and that's enough. Amen. And that's enough. That is the perfect way to wrap this up, guys. I hope that you enjoyed this episode um Kenya, thank you blue i i loved this i hope you enjoyed it this was super fun and the, the thing about humanize is i make it a point to ask the questions that are not just like oh yes i agree friend because i want the people in the comment section the people who are watching to be like damn i wish blue had asked that question yeah i want you to unpack it with them even when it's messy because yeah there's so much power in people seeing your process yeah I, i'm not so afraid much of power that anymore. in the process i'm not afraid of that anymore i mean i think as somebody who was who is known for a long time as having it all figured out and having it all buttoned up, like I'm so not afraid of my mess. And I want people to see that, you know, there is beauty in the mess. There is beauty in the mess. There's an old song from back in the day, um, from Garden State called There's Beauty in the Breakdown. And I and I, I used to I used beauty to Beauty in the, the breakdown. breakdown. That's gonna be the name of the title. There's beauty in the breakdown. I love it. That's that's it it built me back up. I built me back up from a space that others would call ugly. Um and and I'm, I call it and necessary. So, and, and and it was absolutely necessary. And you know, I'm thriving now without qualification. 
how I show up in spaces is not what I do. I have removed the labor aspect from it, as mm-hmm. Rihanna has done. It's Beyonce. We ain't never getting right? another album. You know what I mean? Rihanna, Beyonce barely you gave know? us a tour. She might not ever give us visuals. Uh, those what's understood doesn't have to be explained. Right? Kenya, the producer's giving me the side eye again. This always goes by so fast. I love um, you. I Thank feel you like for this. we're definitely going to do this again. I can't wait. Every guest that I've had so far is somebody that I want to come back. So the, the streak has not been broken. For those who didn't see you last episode, where can they find you? Y'all can find me on socials uh, across the board. Kenya T. Parham. That's K-E-N-Y-A. T as in Taylor. P-A-R-H-A-M. Yep. I can't, I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for you because I can feel the peace while you're talking about it. Yeah. And there's, this conversation could have been triggering for someone else. So it's nice when someone's talking about the muck and the mess and the beauty and the breakdown. Yeah. And you can tell that they've actually surrendered to the, to the process and are not fighting it. For, for anybody who wants to keep up with Kenya, she gave you her socials. Please follow her. You're, you can find me at, at Bluecentric. And as always, I always say, we are all just human beings doing human shit. Please Please, please be gentle with yourselves. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Blue. This was fun. Oh, welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that is no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.